Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Matt Young, CEO at User Voice. Matt, it's great to have you on the great show. Great to be here, Jeremy. How are you? I'm doing great. So a quick commercial word here. Engage Your Tribe is brought to you by Tribal Mount. Tribal Knowledge Podcasting. I should really know how to pronounce the name of my own company. We're a full-service B2B podcasting agency that helps brands use podcasting as a fun and efficient way to have authentic, non-salesy conversations with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. You can learn more at Tribal Knowledge at, hmm, wow, you can learn more at TribKnowledge.com. Well, I, I did a great job with that, didn't yeah. I? <laughs> only, only a couple of mistakes. Okay. Anyway, back to the good stuff. So, Matt, tell us about your background in product management and about User Voice. Yeah. So, interestingly, even though I'm the CEO of User Voice, I'm not a founder of it. And I, I came to User Voice from a background in engineering. And the appeal to me in joining User Voice was that if you run an engineering team, you're subject to the downstream effects of all the research that product management teams do. And I think in most cases, a healthy bit of skepticism crops up in that role. So if you look at user voice, whose, whose primary role is to deliver really good information to product teams to make good decisions about their product, uh, I really liked the idea of having a lot of data backing the decisions that product management teams we're handing off to engineering teams. And over the years in organizing first user voices engineering team, and then moving up into a leadership position, I became ever more interested in the creation of better, better products through ongoing research in what an audience desires and, and using all of the different feeds of information that not only a product team, but an engineering team and a marketing team, sales team and beyond can use in an organization to address their market's needs better. Okay, very good. So now, at least on the surface, user voice is kind of a product market fit type type technology, mm -hmm. right? It helps companies find better product market fit. But I know that for you, it's not quite that simple. It's more about ongoing product market fit with an emphasis on ongoing. So why is that important? What's the distinction? Yeah, I think most people who are getting started in building a company, they're trying to achieve product market fit. And a lot of the literature that you read, a lot of the content that you read is about attaining product market fit in the first place. But you know, whether you're aware of it or not, once you reach product market fit and, and not to take away anything from that challenge, because that is a very big challenge to begin with, everything starts changing around you. Your, your position starts eroding almost immediately because other people are trying to take that business from you. Competition will come up. The business environment around you is changing. There will be evolutions in technology. There will be cultural changes in the way people do work or even like very big macro events, like a pandemic hitting where all of a sudden people are working remotely and economic changes happen such that budgets are not as free as they used to be. So your ability to adapt to an ever-changing environment around you becomes really, mm -hmm. really important. Even if all of those conditions didn't exist, once you uh, achieve product market fit and have a great product out there and people start adopting it and using it, after a while, they're going to get into that what have you done for me lately mentality. Yeah. So what's the next thing that's going to help you generate upsells, expanding revenue, et cetera. So I feel like the maintenance of product market fit is one of the really difficult things 
about operating a B2B SaaS company, especially making the right moves as a company so you can hold on to the success that, that you originally achieved. Mm -hmm. I really, I think the same principle would apply to just about any company oh, for selling sure. any kind of good or service, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 No doubt. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see companies making when it comes to maintaining that product market? Yeah. In, in our position, we get to see a lot of them, which is a nice thing because people come to us with a problem and, and, you know, sheepishly, they may tell us what's going wrong in their organization and, and in hopes that we can help them in some way. I think there are three big ones that we see most often. And the first one is how do, how do you put this politely? Fear of their own customers. Mm. If you, if you think about it, if you're opening yourself up to criticism, it's not going to be sunshine, rainbows, and lollipops. People are going to tell you what they dislike, how you could do better, et cetera. And it, it, it's, you know, really an invitation for you to invite criticism into your world. And, and in a lot of cases it's constructive. Most users of software are, are pretty polite and, and helpful, but sometimes you're going to get, you know, the fire torch of, of horror coming in your door and, you know, it doesn't make anyone <laughs> particularly happy. So the combination of, of the information coming your way being somewhat challenging and the fact that a lot of people think that they need to be very transactional and react to all of it as it comes in, almost like it was a help desk situation. Mm -hmm. And it's not that right. You're, you're trying to keep your ears open to learn as much as you possibly can from people who are, who are there to volunteer information to you. It's great. So uh, mistake number one I see is like people just not wanting to open that door at all to getting information. But whether you realize it or not, people are gonna think what they think. And if they don't get a chance to express it to you, well, you're just operating at a at a loss. Like it's It's a data point that you don't have available to you that your competition might have available to them. So ignoring it does not make it go away. It's mm -hmm. something that you really have to do. The second mistake I think people make is not setting clear goals as an entire company. If you're getting a bunch of feedback coming your way and you don't know what you're really trying to achieve as a company, is it new business growth? Is it retention? Is it breaking into a new market? Is it reacting to your top competitor or something like that? Without that, you're, you're kind of left directionless among all this feedback that you're getting. So having clearly articulated goals as a company will help you make decisions about how that feedback could help you uh, reach those goals, what you should pay attention to, what you should pay attention to less. That also comes becomes really important in defining your target market. But you're going to get, all companies will get more feedback then they can process, then they can do something about mm -hmm. it. So making those kind of segmented cuts to say, okay, well, this feedback came from someone who really isn't in our target market. So I can put that aside from now, but this feedback came from our ideal customer profile. So we should dig into this and, and learn some more about it. And that kind of leads, leads into the third thing that I think I see as a an unideal situation that, that people have is where they silo the information that's coming in to their organization. If a product team is doing research about their customer experience and how the product fits into that, and a marketing team is doing research about what buyers want, and a sales team is hearing things during demos, and they're not sharing that information, it's all the same buyer. And they may be expressing mm -hmm. 
what they're looking for in a slightly different context, but not sharing that information really hurts. And there's also, you know, to go along with that notion of ownership and responsibility of who should act on that feedback, if that is siloed too much, then decisions are getting made in a little bit of a vacuum within the organization. So getting everyone onto the same page, all, you know, to use the, the very cliche, cliche of everyone rowing the boat in the same direction, mm-hmm. it's often said, but, but ignored in a lot of organizations. So it leads you back to the original thing where you're kind of uncomfortable. You feel like you might need to react to all the feedback, but if you've got a very clear direction set, you're like, okay, I'm confident. I know that this is the stuff that I should act on. And if you didn't explain that to other people who give you feedback, they'll get it. They'll be like, Hey, you know, your feedback is valuable. I appreciate it. I, I relate to it. I think it's a great idea. Our goals right now are this. So we're going to focus in this area. And I hope that's valuable to you too. And you understand why. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So, you know, you mentioned, I think a couple of times that or you mentioned just now, you're going to get way more feedback than, than you can actually deal with at any one given time, mm-hmm. right? You kind of have to sift through it over time. And, you know, I imagine that some of that feedback is going to be more useful than other feedback, right? Some of it might just kind of be dead wrong. In fact, oh, yeah. like the, Misleading. the customer yeah. isn't the cliche is, you know, well, the customer is always right, but I think not really. I mean, yeah. they might have some ideas about your product that you're like, no, that's actually not a great use for it, you know, and, and here's why, or at least you make an argument for that. So, I mean, first of all, do you agree? And if that's true, then how, what, what's a good strategy for, you know, getting to the deeper kind of truth of product market fit on an ongoing basis and weeding out the actual like useful feedback from the not so useful? Yeah, I'll, I will agree with an asterisk with uh, okay. the customer not always being right. I think the cus- customers often don't express what they would like you to do in the most accurate way. They're often very solution oriented, mm. right? But they're, they're always right in their emotion and their motivation for explaining something to you. They're, they feel a mm-hmm. pain or they see an opportunity where you could help them that, that they would like you to assist. So one thing that we want to make sure that we do is get into that like second order why behind the, the thing that someone said to you. If they told you that this is complicated and it's slow or there's missing functionality or something like that. All right, well, what are you trying to achieve? And make sure we understand that so we can skip past the solution they might might offer, which is oftentimes a little bit inappropriate for the wider market that you're trying to serve. But ideally, if you can understand from them what they're really trying to get done, what's the thing that you can serve them with that's really going to help, that'll be great. So oftentimes our software, for example, just collects textual feedback that comes in through a sales team, a support team, people, you know, users may offer it themselves. That almost always needs to lead into a second order investigation. Okay, we have a bunch of people saying that they're sort of dissatisfied with this area of the product. Let's go talk to a few of them and find out some more. So I think when it when it comes to getting to the deeper truth of product market fit, a really important thing to have is a multifaceted approach to research. And mm. that sounds really daunting 
I know because I think you use the use the R word, you say research to people, and a lot of people <laughs> it, it evokes at least for me pictures of like white lab coats and you know maybe your your college days where everything had to be super rigorous and all of that. Mm. But like here, the eighty twenty rule applies. Do the twenty percent of the work that's going to get you to eighty percent confidence. And just keep iterating. If you're if you're constantly investing a little bit of effort into digging into the problems that you see and understanding a little bit better each time, you're just going to get better and better at lightweight research that really gets you to a good spot. It may not be perfect every time, but I think we all know if we if we get hung up in perfectionism, we're just going to go too slow. I, I like to apply a lot of the, uh, the agile engineering concepts from my engineering background to product management. When we moved from water, when the industry moved from waterfall to, to agile methodologies, it was to try to shorten the timeline of efforts that you're putting forth. So you can take advantage of the fact that, okay, what are people asking for today? And you're not waiting a year or a quarter or six months, you're waiting a couple of weeks to find out what's new. And if you're operating on those timeframes, the amount of information you can process is necessarily smaller. So small, frequent research efforts that you really believe in and pay attention to become the order of the day, at least for us. And it's what we try to coach a lot of our, our customers into doing. Okay, excellent. So a couple of uh, quick questions here to wrap things yeah. up. What's been your main focus so far in Q1? In Q1 of this year, and, and we just started Q1, we offset our quarters by a month to avoid the seasonality of, of the Christmas holidays and European mm. holidays in the summer. But we just rolled out a new product called User Voice Validation. So growing the adoption of that is a focus of ours. We're also rolling out new plans for our own product. And this is, I think, an often ignored aspect of providing products to people. The product itself may not change much, but the collection of features that you offer at the price point that you offer, that does need to adapt pretty frequently. So for us, it's been you know several years since we updated our plans. And even without adding a bunch of functionality to our software, if we can create the right solution at the right price point for people, get that into their hands, that's kind of a win-win for us. We might get a customer that we wouldn't have gotten because we were offering too big of a thing for them. And if we can offer a smaller thing at a lower price, great. We often hear that, and, and this is probably true of a lot of software products in particular, that, okay, I feel like I'm paying for a bunch of features that I don't use. And it, it's just not a very good feeling. So we hear that quite a bit. Uh, we try to have this like nice one size affordable fits all solution, but it doesn't stop people from looking at the fact like, you know, here are all these configurations that I've never made that I'm not using. And I feel like I might be paying too much for them. So yeah, adding a new product and then rolling out new price plans, it's a pretty ambitious one quarter thing to roll out, but we're doing both of those things. Mm -hmm. When you said that about the having too many features that you don't use, of course, I immediately thought of Microsoft Word. Yes. I mean, I use it every day and, you know, there are reasons why I use that and not something else, but my God, you know, yeah. I use like maybe... 2% of the features, I use the, maybe. the formatting tab and the track changes tab. And I, I probably couldn't tell you what, what's on any of the other tabs yeah. that's in there. I mean, I, and it's, and every now and again, like I'll by mistake hit something on another tab and be like, uh oh, what just happened? <laughs> I don't understand where I am anymore. <laughs> yeah. Some, so I did something that I didn't want to do. And now I have to 
go to the help to undo it. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's a little crazy. You know, I haven't thought about how, you know, rife for disruption Microsoft Word might be, but imagine someone gives you a pared down version of that that can still deal in the industry standard data format. Yeah. It might work. Well, you know, Apple has pages, pages. I think they yep. call it, you know, and I, I have Mac computers, which I really like, and it comes with pages. But I can't use it. I can't either. Yeah. No one else uses yeah. it, you know, and it's objectively kind of better. It definitely is simpler and more streamlined. Mm -hmm. And it does all the same basic stuff you need to do. It's just I end up having to export it as a Microsoft Word file to send it to anybody else. And it's just yeah. so somehow, yeah, the disruption hasn't happened, but you'd think that it would be right. Well, this, this line of thinking is interesting because one of the one of the things that most product and especially software companies avoid is the notion of removing a feature. Like everyone's deathly afraid mm -hmm. of like, if just one person uses that feature, they're going to be really annoyed by it. Right. But it's distracting. Like you have to support it. It's part of your code base. People might accidentally compare the fact that you have that feature to another product and misunderstand where your strengths are and what you're really trying to accomplish. So sunsetting features is just as important a part of managing products is adding features. It's, it's different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's almost like killing off a child. The sunk cost fallacy <laughs> right. becomes very true in those situations too. Yeah. I, I feel like Apple's actually really good at that, at least with the iPhones, that they'll just roll out a They're new brutal. one and be like, yeah. yeah, we don't have, you can't plug it in the same way anymore. Too bad. You have to get this new thing. And does that stop Everyone's people just, from buying it? No. Everyone's just like, okay. Yeah. And there might be a little grumbling, sure. but what do you, you know, what are you going to do? Not get an iPhone? But, yeah. I mean, you, you look at what they do, you know, they, they change to a simpler connector. They remove the headphone right. jack. Right. It, I think the industry follows because they see that the market accepts it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if every product maintained every feature, we, none of us would get anything done anymore. Yeah, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, we could have a whole other discussion about features and sunsetting features, but anyway, on to the yeah, next question. Sure. <laughs> so what are the top three KPIs that you're monitoring most of the time? Yeah. From my perspective, I'm, I'm interested in things that may be a little bit different from the standards and they all boil down to our ability to call our shot correctly because our ability to project what our retention might be, what our new business growth might be, what our adoption of new features might be, is almost more important to me than the top line metrics that they're associated with, because that creates predictability. So the three things I'm interested in is the accuracy, accuracy of our predictability to see new business versus the actuals that we get. Same thing for retention. If we say, all right, I think we're going to have 90% gross revenue retention and 112% net revenue retention in this quarter, how accurate were we with that prediction so that we can increase our prediction model and that helps us decide how much money we can throw at growth or where we need to focus. So those two things on, on new business and, and retention are important. The other is our ability to, to accurately identify the key value driving features of our product. So we all use analytics tools and analytics tools will tell you like where people are spending their time. And if you, in a vacuum, look at that data, you could guess like, okay, I think these are the things that are most valuable for people, but I want to compare that to what people actually tell us. What are people telling us when they are a prospect 
and they're asking about how we can help. If they leave us, why did they leave us? Was, was mm. there a failing, a missing piece, something that we didn't have there? So really like comparing the, the hypothesis that we create at the beginning of a time period, and for us it's quarterly, against what the actuals were in product usage. When it comes to product market fit, making sure that you can really clearly identify the value driving actions in software that you provide. And, you know, that helps you in onboarding. It helps you in directing people with guides. It helps us in QBRs when our CSMs speak to our customers. We want to make sure that we're not coming out of left field with something like that. Yeah, that's not why I use user voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. And finally, what do you and your team hope to accomplish? This, this is maybe something that most companies wouldn't share or be so blunt about, but I'm always kind of a blunt person. It's my Northeast upbringing. User voice is a deep, but wide solution. I like to think that we are the best product on the market for product feedback management analysis, correlating qualitative feedback with quantitative information to help you, you know, recognize who's saying what and what segments of your market, et cetera. But that's not enough. You know, that's, that's not a complete picture of the research that you need to do as a, as a customer experience oriented organization, you need to have great customer support. You need to have great customer success. You need to really understand what marketing and sales are learning and all this stuff. So to me, we are a necessary component of a broader suite of tools to deliver a fantastic customer experience to a market. So for us, either through partnerships or acquisition, I feel like we need to uh, align ourselves with other best of breed solutions in the customer experience space. I, I don't mean this to like throw shade on our competitors. They do hard work, but oftentimes I think if you're trying to tick off several boxes and be several products in one, it's very convenient for the buyer. You know, you don't have to negotiate a bunch of times. You don't have to renew a bunch of times, all that stuff. But I think in, in some cases it ends up with a, like a slightly washed down experience because, you know, some things are going to take a back seat to like the, the areas of superiority that that product has. So I, I envision this world where, you know, with an easy transaction, you can get access to the best tools to do these jobs and they all talk to each other and they all, they all do one thing. So over the course of year, you know, ideally by the end of 2022, we are aligned very closely with one or more organizations that provide complementary solutions to, to what we do. Okay. Very good. Well, Matt, so much more we could discuss, but we're going to wrap it up here. I've taken enough of your time. Thank you so much for your time and for a really great discussion. Uh, excellent. This is super interesting and a lot of fun. That's it for this episode of Engage Your Tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. You know you want to. If you're a marketer or an internal communicator and you're interested in podcasting, we've got tons of free resources on the website at tribknowledge.com. That's T-R-I-B knowledge.com. Thanks for listening and staying engaged.